Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 guys. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of the Brain Love Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Delvina Thomas. And tonight I'm talking basically mental health in the black community. And I have a guest on with me. It's another mental health expert. She is not um, in private practice as of yet. However, I do understand that is something in her um in our future. So we're discussing um, a little bit about, you know, um, well, a lot about black mental health, but we go into a lot of detail about different careers in the mental health field. Um, Shakira, my guest tonight, Shakira Lawson is a licensed clinical social worker. She talks about her uh, journey, uh, what she had to do to accomplish achieving this title we go into a little detail about um, classes and um, undergraduate school and graduate school. And we talk a little bit, too, about the other careers in mental health. Um, according to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health, black adults in the United States are more likely than white adults to report persistent symptoms of emotional distress, distress, pardon me, such as sadness and feeling like everything is an effort. Black adults live below the poverty line and are more than twice as likely to report serious psychological distress than those with more financial security. Despite our needs, only one in three black adults with mental illness receive treatment. Mm, this is a problem, y'all. So this is why we're having this conversation to let you know that you can you can gain access to care. And according to the American Psychiatric Association's Mental Health Facts for African Americans Guide, black Americans are also less likely to receive guideline-consistent care, less frequently included in research, and more likely to use emergency rooms or primary care rather than mental health specialists. And I can definitely speak to that. I get a lot of referrals from primary care doctors, and let me tell you, when these folks get on the phone, a lot of times they have an attitude, they're mean, they state they don't know why their primary care told them to talk to me or one of my other um, colleagues in the office, and we try to break it down to them that, hey, it's a good thing that your primary care referred you our way, because at times there are barriers to mental health care, barriers such as socioeconomic disparities, such as stigma, provider bias and inequality to care. But when you see someone who looks like you, that provider bias really doesn't exist as it would if you were seeing someone of the majority. We know that stigma is a huge factor with black Americans in the black community. Negative attitudes and beliefs towards people who live with mental health conditions is pervasive within the United States and can be particularly strong within the black community. Although beliefs and attitudes vary, research shows that many black adults, especially older adults, I'm talking about my dad, you know, um, his siblings, these are people who were born in the 1950s um, and early 60s, that um, they have beliefs and attitudes about mental health. 
They experience a shame. They view mental health conditions as a consequence of personal weakness. They're shamed about having a mental illness and worry that they may be discriminated against due to a mental health condition. For many in the black community, it can be incredibly challenging to discuss the topic of mental health due to how they may be perceived by others. This fear is something that can prevent them from seeking mental health care when they really, really need it, man. Also, one of the other challenges we have in our community is that people feel safer or actually feel less embarrassed if they seek support from their faith community rather than seeking a medical diagnosis. In many black communities in the United States, the church or faith institutions can play a central role as a meeting place and a source of strength. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, you guys, you have to do more than just pray. Faith and spirituality can help in our recovery process and a lot of treatment plans, but spiritual leaders in our faith community are not professional mental health counselors. So we have to do something other than praying and going to church, please. We got to seek treatment. So listen to my interview with Shakira, and at the end, I'll give you some resources. And if you also read the verbiage for this podcast episode, there will also be resources here. I grab these resources off of NAMI, off of their website under uh, their Black African American section. NAMI stands for National Alliance on Mental Illness. Hey, Shakira, are you ready to take the couch? Yes, I am. Hey, 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 guys, I told you I was going to have another mental health professional, a mental health specialist, a mental, a licensed mental health person on the couch with me tonight. I have Miss Shakira Lawson. Hey. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Everything is peachy. Thank you for joining me tonight. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. And I'm checking out this t-shirt you're wearing. It says educated. Is that something queen? I can't see. What does that say? Black queen, but the, but the A in black is, uh, um, is Africa. Okay. I was thinking black, but I couldn't see what's the B. Is that a regular B or? Mm -hmm. It's a regular B. Okay. All right. That was kind of off to the side. So um, educated black queen, tell everyone, how are you educated? Because I want them to understand why you are my expert tonight, why you are the guest tonight in this discussion mm -hmm. about mental health professionals. So give folks a little bit about you and your background. Okay, so I am a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Florida. I received my bachelor's and master's degree from Florida State University in social work. And then I completed 100 hours to get licensed um well 100 clinical supervised hours and then I had to do of course like some face-to-face -face clinical hours with my at my job at the time that's where I completed it at all right so for people who are like okay 100 clinical hours they're probably thinking well do I get paid for that where did you guys get paid for those 100 clinical hours no, I actually had to pay. So <laughs> you have to pay um, a qualified supervisor who's qualified by the state board. Um, and over the course, it's designed to, to take place over the course of two years. So over the course of two years, four hours a month, I met with my supervisor and 
learned about and was continuing to be trained on being a, a social worker. Wow. So, and you paid, so the part you're saying you paid for is you paid for the time that you spent with your supervisor. Correct. Okay. Let me back up just for a second. And if you said this, I apologize. Your, um, your master's degree came from Florida State University, FSU. Mm-hmm. And what was your major in undergrad? It was um, social work as well. So I got a bachelor's in social work and then the master's. When did you know you wanted to go into, let's say, what did you know first that you wanted to be a social worker or that you wanted to go into mental health, which came first? That I wanted to go into mental health. So growing up, I was always that friend that people came to for advice. And I always said that I wanted to be a counselor. And when I first got to school, I majored in um, in psychology. And then when I kind of gave my plans to the academic advisor, they were like, I think you belong in the College of Social Work. And so it was from there that I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So when you majored in psychology initially in undergrad, were you planning to go to grad school and pursue psychology? Um, I'm not sure if I was planning to go to grad school to pursue psychology, but I knew I was going to grad school. But as an undergrad, I mean, as a freshman or sophomore, I wasn't sure like what I was going to get a degree in. I just knew that I was going to probably need to be in grad school after undergrad. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. There are so many things that we're trying to figure out in undergrad to help map our course. So for any of the young listeners who you know that you want to do something to help people, you are considering um, a career in the mental health profession, there are a lot of different different specialties out there. And so that's why Shakira and I are having this conversation. I've done this before a couple of times, but I did it by myself. Most of those times, Um, Shakira and I will be hosting an event coming soon where we will be in person discussing mental health professions. So Shakira mentioned having um, a goal of becoming a quote counselor, close quote, at some point in time when she was younger. So um, we know that a counselor is someone trained to give guidance. It's someone who can give you guidance on personal, social, psychological, even occupational issues or challenges. Um, but then we also know counselors who work at summer camps, you know, like some, uh, what is it, uh, camp counselors, but we're not referring to that type of counselor. Tonight, we're talking about licensed mental health workers, licensed mental health professionals. Um, a licensed mental health professional is someone who treats folks with mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders and problems. And um, Shakira is, you know, there's a lot I can say about social workers. Um, you guys are, especially on in an uh, interdisciplinary team, you are so needed. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many different things that social workers can do. Every person who gets uh, their master's in social work and MSW doesn't go on to open a private practice or um, decide to, to provide one-on-one services for patients. Uh, social workers can do things in the hospitals and facilities. And um, can you share with us what are, how, how flexible or how broad is a career as a social worker? Mm-hmm. So I, in grad school, kind of learned a lot of the different ways that you could go as a social worker. And then, of course, over the years, as a practicing mental health professional, I've learned even more. Um, so 
currently, well, let me go back. Out of grad school, my first job, I was a psychotherapist. I was doing, um, I worked for an agency who was grant funded with the Department of Children and Families. Um, and so, like, so if parents lost their children to the system or, you know, they were neglectful in some type of way or were struggling with drug abuse, they would get court ordered by the judges and they would have to come and complete a treatment plan, whether it was domestic violence uh, classes or parenting classes for children with special needs, whatever their specific issue was, I would do those services for them. Um, that was really enlightening and empowering for me. And then um, after that, I became a school social worker. I was contracted through another agency. They had contracts with the schools down in Miami County or um, Dade County. And then now I am a utilization review supervisor. So I work in the insurance realm. I oh, advocate hold up for... one second. You okay. said supervisor. <laughs> yes. Okay. Did we get a promotion? We did get a promotion. I've been at this company for about a year and a half now. And I has got it been a that long? It has. And I work from home. So I work mm-hmm. from home full time. And it that year literally flew by. Yes, it did. Congratulations. Thank you. Nice. I'm sorry I interrupted you to give you a No, it's fine. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, So in that role, I I mean, I supervise other employees, but we all advocate with our facilities for our facilities that we're um, contracted with. And we work to get insurance coverage for their mental health clients, but they're mostly adolescents. So we talk to insurance companies all day. We kind of fight on their behalf to say, you know, this is why you, why you all need to pay for this service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that's a whole nother conversation What you just brought up insurance companies. People Mm -hmm. have no idea the, just the conundrum of issues and challenges that we as clinicians experience and, getting paid by insurance. People think, oh, I have insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should pay for it. No, that's not how it works because for certain services, the insurance will advise whether or not they think that they should be paying for it. Right. Which really is a conflict of interest when you think about it. Why do you think you should make the decision on behalf of your own company to deny or approve a service for someone who is paying for a policy with your plan, you know, paying a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So people think they have insurance. And what I've learned, Shakira, is that a lot of people don't even know the terms of their health insurance plan. Right. I had to learn that myself. Yeah. And it's a lot, it's a lot of red tape. It's a lot of guidelines that they go by. And, you know, when you choose your plan, especially like through work, which most, most of us do, it's a lot of things we, we're like, oh, you know, I'm, I might be a young, healthy person. I don't need, you know, whatever other type of plan, a PPO or whatever. But if you have children and your children has mental health problems, like a lot of what we run into is, oh, you don't have like their policies don't have out of network benefits. So we can't get coverage at all. And it's just because that's how it's written in their policy. The mm-hmm. services are medically necessary. They're needed, but 
because it's not cover a covered benefit that you're paying for, unfortunately, the insurance won't pay. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell folks who are listening out of network benefits used to be very, it would, it was popping back in the day and it was Mm -hmm. popping because substance abuse companies would um, use, they would go and find patients who are in other States so that they could bill for out of network benefits because out of network typically reimbursed at a higher rate. So they will go patient hunting in other States, bring these patients to, let's say Florida did this a lot bring them Mm -hmm. to Florida, admit them to a substance abuse program, and then build the insurance for out-of-network benefits. There was a huge meeting about, I don't know, five, six years ago or seven years ago in Washington, D.C., with uh, representatives from the insurance companies, with uh, SAMHSA, which is a government agency for substance abuse and mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a discussion because eventually what happened, insurance companies realized that companies were tapping them dry or at least attempting to, certain Mm -hmm. substance abuse facilities were billing three and four and five times for the same patient in the same year. So insurance companies put up that red light and said, okay, we're not doing this anymore. You guys are just taking our money and not rehabilitating our our patients. So they had the the right to do that. And statistically, the data showed it was true. So now what has happened is out of network benefits are now very unpopular with insurance plans. A lot of plans don't even offer out of, out of network benefits. It's either your doctor takes that plan or they don't, or your provider takes that plan or they don't. People will say, oh, well, I, you know, just use out of network benefits is really something of the past, but I didn't want to derail too much and get into an insurance discussion. Um, back to what you were saying, you do utilization review now which is something that um, can be done by nurses as well. Nurses will do utilization review and utilization management type stuff too. But it just shows folks how much a social worker is very much clinical. You are an LCSW, so licensed clinical social worker. Um, It's great, especially for a substance abuse company or a mental health company to have and LCSW fighting or advocating for their patients so that insurances will pay for the services they're receiving while they're inpatient. Mm-hmm. So yeah, social, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's, it's very, the spectrum is wide of what you can do. There's even like, if you didn't want to be clinical in the field of social work, you could also go like on the advocacy side and that's more macro work where you're working for family more like bigger than family so agencies and you're advocating for laws to be changed and stuff like that but I love the clinical side and what did you call that Shakira uh macro so there's a macro micro and meso level that you can kind of work in and that's just Mm -hmm. the individual you have like the family and community and you have like the nation in a sense okay So repeat that because this is the first time I'm hearing it that way. So I'm sure this is the first time many of the the listeners are hearing this. And this is helpful, especially for someone who's interested in pursuing a career in social work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's like three different practice areas. You have the the micro level, which is individuals, families, relationships. That's more intra and interpersonal. And then the meso level is usually spelled M-E-Z-Z-O. That's what they call like the medium system. So neighborhoods, schools, your communities, and larger groups 
of people that you're advocating for. And then the macro level, that's your large systems like healthcare policy, um, international associations and like law and legislation. Okay. So uh, someone who is an LCSW and provides um, individual psychotherapy, they would be, um, that will be on the micro level. Mm-hmm. Someone who's out in the field, like at a small assistant living facility or a skilled nursing facility working um, in social work, that would be considered meso, I guess. Yeah. Or I would even add someone who's probably doing like grassroots work where they're Mm -hmm. gathering local communities together and kind of fighting at that level. I would say that's meso. Okay. Okay. Got some examples going here. And then there's the the macro, which you said is more larger scale healthcare systems and policy. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are probably at, at Tallahassee or DC level doing that type of work, changing, changing po- uh, policies and laws. Yeah. And so, um, you know, to be a social worker, you do have to get a master's in social work, like Shakira mentioned earlier in her introduction, because you can't be considered a social worker with a bachelor's in social work. Is, am I correct in saying that, Shakira? Well, you can. It, it, and I just, and one of the, you know, social media groups I'm a part of, they were having this discussion recently. It's state dependent. So licensing requirements are different um, in every state. Like in the state of Florida, you just, the only license you can obtain is your clinical license. But like, for example, in Georgia or Texas, you can get licensed at the master's level. Okay. You can be a LMSW. And then some states, you can get licensed as a bachelor. Really? Mm-hmm. But I've read that depending on where you are, that it doesn't, you still won't get, like it won't really increase your pay that much. Mm-hmm. And at each level, you have to pay fees, of course, to take the exams and you know, to get processed in the system and things like that. So. Oh, okay. Okay. So you would recommend if someone wants to work as a social work that they at least get their master's degree. I would recommend it only because with more education comes more money Mm -hmm. and then more expertise, of course. Um, And a lot of, depending on what you want to do, a lot of people are looking for you to have, a lot of companies are looking for you to have a master's degree in social work with a, with experience to accompany it. But if you want like a, let's say a clinical director position, then you will 100% need to be licensed. Okay. Okay. So see, and that's another job that I don't think we mentioned. Social workers can be clinical directors. They can be in charge of a, of a clinical team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, you know, a lot of times people will say to me, I want to get my master's in something so that I can do, um, so that I can provide psychotherapy or so that I can um, treat folks from who have mental health challenges. I don't know if I should get um, a master's in social work, if I should become um, a professional counselor, because there's LPCs out there, licensed professional counselors, or mm-hmm. if I should become an LMHC, a licensed mental health counselor. So those are the three main different types of masters. Oh, also, I can't leave out marriage and family therapy because you can get a master's and be a licensed marriage and family uh, therapy um, uh, mental health professional as well. I would say I'm going to ask you, uh, Shakira, based on your knowledge and your exposure, 
what the biggest difference would be and choosing between those. Um, I'll start first in saying that if you plan to take insurance, you have to look at um, if panels will credential you as a certain specialist. Um, right off the bat, I can say Medicare will only credential uh, an LCSW. So an LPC and LMHC cannot get credentialed by Medicare, but LCSWs are allowed or it's permissible um, for an LCSW to be credentialed by Medicare. Medicare will credential you with a master or as a licensed clinical social worker, almost at a master's in social work. You have to get licensed if you want to be considered a, a, a clinician um, and to be on insurance panels. Um, what would you say are some of the stark differences between those three those three professions? So I think a lot of it, a lot of them have similar studies. So what you what you learn in school is kind of some of the same things. I know, of course, because I am a social worker. I do know that the flexibility is is there for social work. The skills that you learn are very transferable um, and you can kind of become a social worker in almost any field. So of course I always advocate to become a social worker, but I do have colleagues who are um, mental health counselors as well as I have a colleague who is a marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. She, like when you're doing your job search, you will see, they'll say, oh, a social worker. They'll say all of those that we mentioned and then they'll say, or a similar degree. So it's, you know, not that vast of a difference, but you do learn like for marriage and family therapy, of course, you're going to be really focused on that in your studies versus in social work, you're going to learn some stuff on the macro level and the micro level. You might learn about some policies. You might learn you know, about the different diagnoses, which I think you would in all fields. But I do know that, like we talked about the different careers you can have, like you can be a dialysis social worker. You can mm-hmm. be a school social worker. You know, I'm trying to think of other other things you could do, but I do know that like the options are almost endless. Yeah, it's interesting to hear, um, you know, there's always a little bit of rivalry between you know, different occupations Mm -hmm. or specialties, that sort of thing. But I would say if you're not sure what you want to do or what you want to um, specialize in, do as much research online, talk to as many licensed clinical social workers as possible, talk to folks who are um, licensed as mental health counselors, as professional counselors. The LPC designation is something I haven't seen in Florida but it's in other states, like in uh, Arizona and Texas mm-hmm. and uh, Georgia, I believe, has LPCs, Virginia as well. Um, for some reason, and in, in here in Florida, I've seen mainly LCSW, LMHC, LMFT, Licensed uh, Marriage and Family Therapist. So talk to people who are already in those fields so that you can it can help you make a decision. So, and Shakira, we know you're multifaceted. Um, tell folks how they can follow you on social media if they want to look you up and, and see what you're doing. And, um, and tell us about the different brands that you've created. Because she's not, she's not just, and not, not that, 
a social worker or a licensed clinical social worker is, is anything small. It's, that's a major feat, but there's so many other things that uh, Shakira dabbles in. Thank you. Okay, so yes, I am also a licensed hair braider um, as of 2014. However, I will say that last November, I believe, or November 2020, I believe it was, uh, you no longer need a license to become a, a hair braider in the state of Florida. But I do have, you know, I did do the work to become a licensed hair braider. So, Wait, I do have so a that, one, that went away? Yeah, the requirement is no longer there. DeSantis wow. took it away. But not just DeSantis, it's actually happening in a few other states across the country as well. Mm. So that's a fight and it's on its own. Yeah, it's a it's pros and cons. Like pros I was going to ask you, what says you? Do you think people should be licensed or no? I think people should be licensed. I think it sets you apart. It shows people that you take your craft seriously. I'm not just a kitchen braider, even though I'm a home-based braider, you know, like I'm still a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to take a class when you became a licensed braider or do some type of training? Yes, I had to. I I was in Tallahassee at the time. I took, um, there was a local salon that I went to and she was authorized to, you know, give me the thing. So I took a, you have to do like a sanitation course and it was nothing technique based. It was all like whatever the state mandated at that time. So I did all of the requirements. She sent off the paperwork and then I got my license in the mail. And then I have to renew it and I had to do continue with education, I think every two years. So what I wanted to say is this, and, and that's why I asked you, what did it consist of? Because usually, especially with some sort of, um, uh, uh, how shall I say, um, beauty trade or trade in, in the beauty arena, you mm -hmm. must, you should learn about infections and sanitation and because right. you're touching people and you're touching different right. people. So it makes sense to me. I didn't know they did away with the licensure. It made sense to me that they would require a braider to be licensed. Now, I wonder if DeSantis did away with it because he's like, man, it's, it's mostly black people getting their hair braided. Who gives a F if they get an infection or if their hair falls out or if they lose their edges or, you know, and I don't know if that's just a conspiracy, a running conspiracy I have mm -hmm. because of some of the decisions that our, our governor has made you know, regarding so many things, including um, the the felony bill, you know, not allowing felons to actually vote, although it passed, you know, when, when uh, we voted for it during the election. Mm -hmm. So it makes you wonder mm -hmm. what's the motive behind taking away the requirement, just like how they took away the requirement for juveniles in prisons to get GEDs. They did away with the requirement. And i I believe they did away with it because most of those folks are black people, black and brown. Mm -hmm. I and they think want it's them a conspiracy theory at all. <laughs> I okay. think you have very valid thoughts. Awesome. Good. Cause I'm like, I got to check myself sometimes, you know, being a black woman in America at times I get, I get a little paranoid. And I think that's within, within reason, because I, I mean, I watched the, um, a small snippet of a debate between Stacey Abrams and, um, What's their Kemp? What's their their current governor name in Georgia? Oh, I think it's, uh, oh, I don't remember. Yeah. Was, so yeah, it was a clip of him accusing her <laughs> of illegally getting votes, and then she kind of doubled back and was like, "No, you tried to get. You know, you you went pretty much the back doorway 
to stop a lot of votes. And I said, no, let's do this the legal way and got a lot of the votes. So I didn't, I wasn't yeah. even aware that I know we voted for felons to be able to vote here. I didn't realize that that was kind of revoked. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, they were. They, you didn't realize it was what? I'm sorry. Revoked. Well, they just weren't. It wasn't moving forward. Okay. Yeah, they weren't moving forward with it. But yeah, the governor in Georgia is Brian Kemp. It's Kemp, as you said. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, a lot, but you know that, and and they kind of does tie into mental health, like you said, being a black woman or a black person in America. Period. There's a lot of mental health implications there yeah yes and um, of course we know you and I as black folks in America that uh, black people have many reasons to have mental health challenges and I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that to make an excuse for us but there's a lot of you know tomfoolery going on out here Mm -hmm. there's So what are some things that you do to actually, let me not ask you what you No, Yeah. Let's, are you okay with that? Me asking you what you do to manage your mental health? Yeah, I'm an open book. (laughs) So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Because you have the businesses going on. Um, You're working full time as that, that utilization review supervisor, um, you have your braiding business and you have had people work for you um, for your, the braiding business. And then you are, you got a secret business coming out soon, I guess, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so in my, in my braiding business, it is funny that you asked that because I am currently working on launching my second product. Um, my first product is not even on the market anymore, but I'm getting ready to launch my second one. I'm, you know, preparing a lot behind the scenes for that. So it does take and require a lot of planning and mental health stabilization, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. So I, I do go to therapy every two weeks. I have a therapist. I've been with her for two years now. Shout out to this two shout pass counseling. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very in tune with, you know, like being alone, spending time alone, spending time outside. I sit on my balcony and work most days. Uh, so I believe that fresh air really kind of helps keep yeah, you on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk on the phone a lot. I talk to my mom every day. And then I have some best friends that I, I converse with very frequently. So that those things mainly are what I do to manage stress. And how did you know, how did you know your therapist was a good fit for you? So I, I interviewed her basically before, well, you know, March 2020, no, I'm sorry, August 2020 is when I started with her. And so at this point, we're a few months into COVID. We still don't know exactly what's going on. I had a lot of life changes, like at that time, <laughs> specifically. And I felt like I was spiraling and I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, talking to friends is not enough. I need, I need additional support. Mm-hmm. So I went on blackgirlsfortherapy.com. They have a I'm sorry, therapyforblackgirls.com. They have a directory. So I I went through a few. I wrote down some potential therapists, wrote down their numbers. I called them up and essentially did a small interview with them. Saw how, you know, our conversations meshed in that short 10 to 15 period, minute period. And then I chose from there. They allowed you to do that because a lot of patients will tell me I tried to call this one and that one. They wouldn't call me back or they didn't call me back. 
Yeah, I did have a couple that I couldn't get in touch with them. And I mean, my understanding is just that they might have been booked or just unavailable. I look at it as, okay, if I couldn't mm-hmm. get in touch with them, they weren't a good fit for me. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so, and how many did you interview? I think it was about, I think I wrote down four. I might have spoke on the phone with three because by the time I got to the third one, it was my current. I was like, I think I'm going to go with her. Gotcha. And um, did they seem very, uh, let's see, gracious? Were they welcoming to do the interview? Did any of them kind of sound sort of taken aback? Like, what, you want to interview me? So, no, because I didn't present it as an interview. You know, you you should be having to book a consultation prior to starting therapy anyway, only because ah. you want to get to know them. They want to get to know you, like, to make sure we're both a good fit for each other. So it was mm-hmm. a consultation, but I look at it as like an interview process. Gotcha. All right. And I don't think that's happening a whole lot. Um with, oh, with really? therapists. Yeah. Doing consultations with them. I think people are not really savvy in selecting mental health professionals for their treatment. So they call and make an appointment and that's it. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we got to change that. I, like you said, we're going to have that event coming up. I think that's going to be important to touch on and just normalize because I don't know if people do this, which kind of going back to the insurance. I know sometimes the insurance company will choose a PCP for you, a primary care physician. But I, I'm the same way with my physical health. Like I want to make sure you're a good fit, that you understand the struggles I might go through, not only as a woman, but a black woman, as a 28-year-old individual. Like these are things that to me are very important. So I'm very particular with how I choose my my wellness team. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know for sure, I've, I, I'm willing to bet most primary care physicians, I don't know about nurse practitioners, but physicians, I doubt a majority of them are doing that 10 or 15 minute consultation free, meaning without charging your billing, your insurance and without uh, charging the patient. Right. No, I doubt it. I do a lot of, a lot of online research. So even if you can't do a consultation with a mental health professional, their website, what they specialize in, all of those things should speak to you before booking an appointment. All right, y'all, you guys are hearing it. She's telling you how to choose and how to find a mental health specialist. I asked Shakira how she came upon her, her psychotherapist, and she told you she did three brief consultations with three different providers, and um, she used energy to guide her decision-making. And um, Shakira, you made a great point. Go online, Google a person, because you'll be surprised what you'll find about a person when you Google them. Some people have, um, you know, may have committed crimes in the past of some sort or were accused of doing something. Um, There are a couple of mental health professionals right here in South Florida, men who have been accused of sexually abusing patients and sexually abusing interns. So um, You'll be surprised what you learn when you Google a person's name. Go on there, do the research, check out their social media pages, go to their website, read their bio. Read their bio. You know, if you're a woman in her uh, 50s and you've been married twice and 
um, feel you have relationship challenges, you don't want to choose a therapist who's a 25-year-old person, regardless of whether it's a man or a woman, because I just think certain things factor into a therapist's ability to manage a case. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. life lessons, if they haven't lived those, it's going to be very difficult for someone who's that green in life, as well as professional um, professionalism to manage someone who's been through a whole lot of life. So those things are important. I agree. I definitely agree. Well, guys, this is just one of many conversations to be had um, in talking about mental health and deploying mental health services to um, to our Black nation. Um, the experience of being Black in America is just so different between us and another race or other cultural, um, other cultures, pardon me. We as Black Americans share many factors and these factors help define our mental health. These factors help support our well-being, our resiliency and our healing. So this is why we're having the conversation so that people become um, better, I should say, better equipped to initiate the process of finding a mental health professional. First, you have to know what your options are. You have to know what your options are, who you can go and see. So if you want medication, you have to see a prescribing provider. So that would be a psychiatrist. That's a medical doctor who specializes in psychiatry and neurology, or you can see a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I would not recommend going to see your primary care physician to address a mental health issue, because although some family practice doctors or internists get a little bit of teaching and mental health, they don't, they can't manage the more complicated, challenging things. And so, um, and I know, no diss to my primary care doctors out there, but a lot of y'all will use Ambien for everything. Can't sleep, anxious, nervous, stress. You want to give people Ambien. Everybody gets Ambien. Um, and we can't do that. You can't solve everything with a pill. Psychiatrists can also conduct psychotherapy. So that's why a psychiatrist is a great option. Psychotherapy, you can see a a Shakira and LCSW, you can see um, a psychologist and LMHC also, if it exists in your state and LPC or a marriage and family therapist, depending on, you know, what your needs are. Um, If it's something to do with children, the family unit, marriage and family therapist would be uh, a marriage family therapist would be a great option. If it's something more complicated to deal with bipolar and schizophrenia, I think I would lean towards a psychologist or an LCSW or a psychiatrist, depending on how severe the case is and whether or not this is about a medication issue and not just psychotherapy. So I hope all of that makes sense. If it doesn't, don't sweat it because we'll be talking about this again. Shakira, mm-hmm. you have anything you want to add? Um, No. Not at this time. It was a great conversation. I think bringing light to it and just helping people understand what mental health is and what different routes and options you have. I love doing that. So any questions? I know I didn't get to mention my social medias earlier. Um, oh, do it. Please. No less. <laughs> no less than Queen T-H-A-N on Instagram. That's my personal page. I do have a lot of mental health discussions there. And then my braiding page is at underscore Queen of the Crown. 
Okay, guys, you got it. And it's also in the verbiage for this episode. If you um, click on the description of tonight's episode, you'll see her handles there. Feel free to reach out to her, DM her, or do you have an email you give out, Shakira? Um, For braiding, I do, not for mental health. But for braiding, it'll be info at QOTC, like Queen of the Crown, braiding.com. And if you want to email her about something mental health, email that one too, and just put in the subject question about social work or something like that. Is Mm -hmm. that okay? That's totally fine. All right, guys. So you've been listening to Miss Shakira Lawson. She is on the couch with me and we are talking, um, or we have been talking about mental health professions. I will keep you updated about the future in-person event that we have coming very soon. Hopefully you can come out. And if you can't come out, it'll be posted on my YouTube channel. Say brain love, Shakira. Brain love. Hey guys, thanks for listening to that interview with Shakira. I hope you learned a lot. I just wanted to drop some resources for you. Um, If finances are preventing you from finding help, contact a local health or mental health clinic or your local government to see what services you qualify for going to or contacting your local emergency room and asking for the social worker or for the community nurse might help. They may be able to give you a list of resources. You can find contact information online at findtreatment.samsa.gov. That's find, F-I-N-D, treatment.s as in Sierra, A-M as in Mike, H as in hotel, S in Sierra, A as in alpha.gov, which is G-O-V, or by calling the National Treatment Referral Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. That's H-E-L-P, which is 4357. So the National Treatment Referral Helpline is 1-800-662-4357. There's also um, NAMI, which I mentioned, N-A-M-I, National Alliance on Mental Illness. You can go on their website. And they have a list of black mental health resources. They have a black emotional mental health collective. If you click on it, it'll take you to a page that uh, gives you information. It's considered, it's called BEAM, B-E-A-M, which is Black Emotional Mental Health Collective. They're a national training movement building and grant moving institution that is dedicated to healing, wellness, and liberation of marginalized communities. There's also Black Mental Health um, Alliance, which is 410-338-2642. That's 410-338-2642. There's also Black Mental Wellness. That is a link. Black Women's Health Imperative. That is a link. Of course, there's the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, There is Brother, You're On My Mind. This was an initiative launched by Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. There's Ebony's Mental Health Resources by State. That that was created by Ebony Magazine. So you can go on there and find a growing list of black mental health resources in every state. I'll have to contact them because I don't see DRT Behavioral Services on the site. So we'll have to get DRT Behavioral Services listed Um, there's therapy for black girls and so many other resources. There's the association of black psychologists directory. If you're looking for a black psychologist, check them out. And psychology today has a directory of African-American therapists as well. There's also therapy for black men. So there are so many resources online now. 
guys, you can get access to care. You just have to want to do it. And, you know, people are saying, well, when I'm depressed, I'm not motivated to do it. Push yourself, push yourself. And I hope you have someone in your corner, in your circle, who will get those resources for you and make that appointment for you. Okay, guys. And the new national number, if you are in mental distress, for you to call and seek help is 988. So right now, if you're listening to this episode and you're not feeling well and you feel like you could do something to harm yourself, please call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Thank you for joining me tonight, guys, on the Brain Love Podcast. I enjoy your listenership. Say brain love. Hey, 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 guys. It's Dr. Delvina. Thomas. Yes, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And I just wanted to tell you about some ways you can follow me. First of all, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to info, I-N-F-O, at dr, as in doctor, at drdelvina.help. That's H-E-L-P, so info at drdelvina.help. That's spelled D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, dot help, H-E-L-P. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. They are um, matching now. So it used to be my Instagram was a little different than my Facebook page, and that Facebook page got taken down. So now they're both the same, which they are both Dr. Delvina, D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. And my website used to be drdelvina.help, but I'm redoing the website so soon it will be launched and it will be Dr. Delvina, so doctor abbreviated again, D-R-D-E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, help, H-E-L-P dot com. You may also follow my office, which is D-R-T, Brain Love. We are DRT Behavioral Services, PLLC, but we go by DRT Brain Love on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Please feel free to follow all and subscribe to those pages. And our website is uh, brainlovehelp.com, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-L-P.com. Everything is about help. And we also have a website for for our spa and also for our um, CBD and uh, medicinal cannabis licensure. So there's links for those um, websites on DRT Brain Love website as well as on my website when it launches. But feel free to subscribe to all of the um, podcast platforms. Please subscribe on iHeartRadio, on Pandora, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. And if you're um, a member on Anchor, which is Anchor by Spotify, please feel free to subscribe on Anchor as well. As you know, the more subscribers you have, the better. I do appreciate the the subscribers that I have to date. And some of you have been with me since the podcast started in May 2020. So we're in our third year, and I appreciate your support. And if you're sending a monthly contribution, I appreciate that support. And if you're not sending a contribution, but you're listening on a regular basis, I greatly appreciate that support as well. If you haven't already done so, please uh, do a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share it with other people, man. All right. Remember, brain love.